0: Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and he is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Today, we begin a season long known within many parts of the church as Advent. For most people outside of our faith, the day after Thanksgiving marks the start of the celebration of Christmas. I mean, come on, the tree, the stockings, and the decorations, they go up. All the cookies and other baked treats begin to get made. The cider, the eggnog, oh, the peppermint mochas, and all the other holiday drinks at Starbucks begin to flow. Christmas music, both old and new, fills the airwaves. And of course, all the shopping, all the wrapping, And even a little gift-giving starts to commence, if it hasn't begun already. That's how it is out there. And in the midst of all this flurry of activity that for some is not the most wonderful but most stressful time of the year, here in the church, we don't dive headlong into making merry as much as we take some time to prepare to celebrate Christmas. That's right, prepare. We do this because we recognize how easy it can be to get caught up in the holiday rush, all the things we try to make Christmas to be, rather than receiving the one who is at the heart of Christmas, the one whose very name is in the title of the holiday. We slow down in the church. We slow down from all of our efforts to ensure that Christmas happens so that we remember and reflect on the fact that the only reason there's something I mean, anything to celebrate at Christmas has absolutely nothing with what we do, but has all to do with what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. In fact, the word Advent means arrival, and this helps us to appreciate one final reason why we in the Church do things a little differently than out there. It's because we believe that in all of our inward preparation— in our anticipation of the coming of Christ that mirrors those first figures of the original Christmas story, the prophets of old, Elizabeth and Zachariah, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the angels, the wise men. In all our preparations as we wait, as we hope, as we pray, we look for Jesus to be born anew in our lives, that we will come to receive and to follow Christ this Christmas in a deeper way. Now, hopefully having framed for us what the next four weeks are going to be about as we gather to worship through this Advent season, I invite you now to hear our scripture for the day, a passage that includes a verse everybody knows. And by everybody, I mean pretty much everyone on the planet, both of our faith and not. Almost everybody can quote the verse that I'm talking about right now. But when's the last time we actually read this well-known verse in light of the whole passage? How many of us really listen to these words in their entirety? Well, now's our chance. Let's hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, starting with verse 16.
1: Our scripture for today is from John 3, verses 16 through 21. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: The passage we just heard is one of the great texts in all the Bible. Maybe we don't think of it as a Christmas passage, but trust me, it is. For here we have a concise summary of the message of the gospel, of what, at its heart, Christmas is all about. For God so loved the world, he gave his Son. In just this single statement, God's giving of his Son, we have a pregnant reference to the Christ child being born in Bethlehem. But it's only as we go beyond this statement that we come to understand the significance of this gift. This gift, which is the basis of all of our gift-giving at Christmas. To begin with, the basis of this gift, as we're told, is love. But not just any love, God's love. Divine love. Perfect, inexhaustible, unchangeable, eternal love. For so God loves the world, John writes... He gives us this gift. This is significant because so often within the church, we start the message of the gospel quite differently. We start not with the love of God, but with the wrath or the judgment of God. God is disappointed in you. You should know better the Lord expects more of you. God is sick and tired of your shameless living and your guilt-free behaviors. God is going to cut you down unless you turn back to him. Still today, isn't this the message we're hearing from some within the church? God is angry with our world. Aren't there some who are preaching this global pandemic is God's judgment against this world? that our contested election and disunity as a nation are a sign of God's disapproval and condemnation. And yet, John starts not with God's judgment, but with God's love. In fact, the Apostle John goes on to specifically clarify in the next verse, this gift of God's Son is given not to condemn the world, but as a means of love, to save this world I mean, rarely do we give one another, even ourselves, the benefit of the doubt, right? We condemn, we shame, we guilt ourselves and each other all the time. But God gives. Our Creator starts and finishes with love. Love that seeks, again, not to condemn, but to save. God so loves this world, John writes. And it might be easy to read that little word so as indicative of how much God loves us so much. But it's actually about exactly how God loves us. God loves the world in this way, John is writing. He gives us his son. And this is no small gift, no token sign of God's love for us. The love we point to at Christmas time is more than nostalgic sentimentality or a tender kiss of affection under the mistletoe. No, this is a love that gets real, a love that comes down to intervene in human history by becoming one of us. God so loved the world That the Lord of all creation, the God who upholds universes upon universes in the palm of his hand, who named the stars and knows the number of hair strands on each of our heads, this God who made a 90-year-old barren woman pregnant and then birthed a nation out of her family, carrying them out of enslavement, through the wilderness, into the promised land, through exile, and back again. This God. This God who elevated and humbled world empires. This God who can make every valley to be raised up, every mountain and hill to be made low, the rough ground to become level, and the rugged places a plain. This God, this God, the creator and sustainer of all life as we know it, did something no one was expecting. He set aside the power and glory of his divinity and became flesh and blood as a man and dwelt among us in Jesus Christ. The king of kings did not come as royalty, however, did not arrive with privilege or the prestige of a warrior. He was humbly born of an unwed teenage mother on the floor of a stable in a backwater town in poverty and filth. He didn't advance after his birth to some high position or noteworthy post. He lived like most of the world lives, an ordinary life marked by work and play, family and friends, and the joys and pains of having all that. He knew what it was to be tempted in every way, to be rejected at every turn, and even to be abandoned by those who profess to believe in you. He faced the scorn the mockery, the derision, even the betrayal, the denial of those closest to him. And in the end, even though he could claim something no other human being ever could, total innocence, having lived a perfect life unmarked by sin, he willingly experienced the worst this world had to offer. He chose to endure heartbreak, physical torture, and ultimately death itself. God in the flesh did that. God the Father, through his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, did all that for us. That's how God loves us. Not by remaining at a distance, high above the woundedness of his creation. No, but by coming down, coming down into the thick of all our chaos in order to save us, to lead us into a better life And a better world. John, in fact, frames our understanding of this gift born of God's love, God's gift of Himself to us in Jesus Christ this way. He writes, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. You see, God in Christ doesn't step into a spiritually neutral world. Jesus comes into a world, an entire creation, covered in darkness. In fact, John, in his gospel, his presentation of Jesus Christ, invokes this understanding of darkness and light a lot, that we are living in darkness. Elsewhere, John, in fact, explains the source of all this darkness we are under, and it is, in a word, human sin. Our lives are darkened, obscured, gloomy, because we have chosen to live them apart from our Creator, meaning not according to his design and rules for life, but by making up our own. As creation persists in constant shadow, all the volatility and turmoil we see around us, it's because we have attempted to craft an existence out of a world made and sustained by God without acknowledging or looking to God at all. In trading our creator for the creations of our imagination, we are blinded by our pride, and our greed, in our self-centeredness, rebelling against God's direction and believing more in our own way, we continue to stumble again and again and wander in circles throughout history. Is the saying not true? The more things change, the more they stay the same in terms of the human condition. But John's point, the invitation of Christmas is it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to live in darkness anymore. For God so loved the world that he gave his son to bring the light we lack, to be the light we need, the revelation, the wisdom, the guidance, the very means we need to lead us out of the darkness all around us and even within our very hearts. Now, we'd think when John makes this declaration in verse 19, the light has come into the world, that the finish of that sentence would be, and the world was drawn to the light. Or, and the world looked to the light. Or, and the world followed the light. But that's not how the sentence ends. That's not how the sentence ends. Instead, John concludes his verse with one of the most chilling phrases of all, but people loved darkness instead. I want us to appreciate the contrast here. For God so loved the world, he gave us his Son. he gave us the light, but we love the darkness instead. My friends, Advent begins in the dark. It begins in the dark because we keep forgetting what time it is. Advent begins in the dark because we choose to ignore the reality of the night that is upon us. How long ago, way back in the beginning, the light went out. Advent begins in the dark because we continue to try and put up all our artificial light as some way of denying the darkness in which we live apart from God. Advent begins in the dark with the recognition, the confession that we are not only living in darkness, but that we have a dangerous, a deadly tendency to prefer the darkness. This is the backdrop against which Christ comes. And yet this is a world we don't wanna face, especially, ironically, at Christmas time. And so we attempt to cover the darkness, our darkness with tinsel and decorations. We try to drown it out with soothing, upbeat messages, with sweet but ultimately bland, inoffensive, generic words of peace on earth and love for all humanity. Don't get me wrong, these are great aspirational sentiments. But apart from the light of Jesus, the work of the cross, the resurrection, Pentecost, these great aspirations are nothing more than visions of sugar plum fairies dancing in our heads. We cannot and will not embrace the gospel unless we are willing to look into the heart of our darkness, the dark side of ourselves, of how easily, how easily we indulge our worries and our fears, of how quickly we double down on our anger and our frustrations, of how unremorsefully we derive a sick, vengeful, and wicked pleasure from the suffering of our enemies. And how, in our stubborn insistence that we are always right, that we should be the masters of our own destiny, we repeatedly recast God in our own image, rather than abiding in the fact that it is we who are created in His. Advent begins in the dark, because without Jesus, there is no light. There is no life. There is only death. When John in this passage says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Be clear, John isn't contradicting himself after having just said, God comes to us in Christ not to condemn, but to save us. No, John's insight here is that we condemn ourselves as we choose to love the darkness rather than to embrace and follow the light of Jesus. It's not that Christ actively condemns us as some sort of punishment for our rejection, as it is that our, in our refusal of Jesus, we leave ourselves in the dark, in its isolation, its deception, and its false allure of secrecy, rather than living in the vulnerable authenticity, the healing wholeness of the light of Christ. But once again, John's point The invitation of Christmas is it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. The light of this crucified and resurrecting love is offered to us, but not forced upon us. Something we all recognize about the the dynamic of gift-giving at this time of year, or any time, is gift-giving cannot be forced. I mean, even if we kick in someone's door, pin that person to the ground, and duct tape our intended gift to his or her hand saying, this is for you, Merry Christmas, <laughs> that gift may have been forcefully given, but none of this means that the gift was actually received, accepted, opened, interacted with. Gifts that are given have to be received, and sadly, tragically, gifts can be offered that are rejected, so it is with Christ. Hence, notice the phrases throughout this passage calling for us, John calling for us to accept this gift. Verse 17, whoever believes in him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him. Verse 21, whoever comes to the light. The appeal is to say yes to Jesus. The most beautiful word in this whole passage is in fact the word whoever. Did you hear it? Whoever, no matter what you've done, No matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how many times you've screwed up, no matter how willfully or deliberately you've rejected or rebelled against God, whoever you are, this Christmas gift is for you. That's the tagline on the first and ultimate Christmas gift. In the midst of our rebellion, to the nice, not to the nice, but to the naughty While we were yet still sinners, God loves us. God saves us in Christ. The second most beautiful word in this whole passage is synonymous with that first word, whoever. And it's the word, the world. Even though we didn't love God first, God, John declares, loves the world. The gift of Christmas of Jesus Christ is not reserved for one nation or one culture. It's for all nations, for all cultures, for all people, at all times, in all places. There is no nationality. There is no skin color. There is no ethnicity. There is no gender. There is no age group excluded from that love. This love through Jesus Christ that saves Though all the earth may have declared itself a professed enemy of God, God has still saved this world in Christ. For even as we didn't say thank you for the light that had come into the world, but cried out, crucify, kill that light. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And God saved us in Christ. In Christ, God has moved toward us even as we have moved away from God. The gift of Christmas is real. The gift of Christmas is ours. It is wrapped in love. It is revealed through grace. But gifts given are intended to be received, not left unopened, not stored away somewhere for another time when we die, not continually talked about, showering praise all over the gift, but never having any intention of letting our lives be shaped by that gift. My friends, the light of Christ has come into this world, into our lives, and this light seeks to be followed to change how we see this world as well as how we live together as a part of it. Everybody knows, every Christian quotes Every Christian quotes John 3.16 as the most succinct presentation of the gospel in all the Bible. The problem is we've presented John 3.16 in isolation without the rest of the passage. And as a result, we've declared to others, we've come to believe ourselves, right? That John 3.16 is the finish line instead of realizing and sharing that it's the starting line. The story of Christmas, the invitation, the gift of Jesus Christ, isn't just believe in Jesus and go to heaven when you die. The first and foundational gift of Christmas isn't a proposition to accept or a contract to sign. It's a covenant, an invitation into a relationship to meet and follow the God who loves us, the God who has saved us, the God who is the way, the truth, and the life we've been longing for all in the person of Jesus Christ. What does this look like? Following Jesus, opening the gift? We find the answer not here in the Gospel of John, here in chapter three, but in John's first letter to the church. Interestingly, and not coincidentally, I believe, in 1 John 3.16. If John 3.16 captures the invitation, the gift of Christmas, then 1 John 3.16 reflects the spirit of Christmas or how we live out of the gift of Christ. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Therefore, we must lay down our lives for one another. That we, that the world has received the gift of God's love in Christ, is witnessed through our loving each other. Loving this world the way God has loved us in Christ. And that means humbly and compassionately. That means truthfully, but forgivingly. That means faithfully and always graciously. We are to love each other by dropping our need to be right in order for things to be right between us. We are to love others without condition or demand, never withholding, never taking advantage of, or abusing the love in Christ we have been given to share. We are to love by identifying so closely with one another that we are willing to come into each other's darkness in order to bring the light of Christ. Being loved and becoming love, that is the gospel. And that is what Christmas is all about. The God who has every right to condemn, to punish and destroy us, purposes instead to love and save us by coming among us through the giving of his Son. And we are invited, we have been enabled to receive this life-transforming, world-changing gift that God gives to us in Jesus Christ. As the season of Advent continues, let's start to make that move by confronting and bringing all of our darkness, all of our worries and our fears, all of our grudges and our gripes, all of our wounds and our vices into the light of God's love. In so doing, may room be made in our hearts, may space be cleared away in our minds so that we are ready to receive Jesus more richly and more deeply than ever before. May we even now begin to follow Christ by giving each other grace upon grace as we continue to walk together through these challenging and troubling times, encouraging each other that the coming birthing cry in the manger means we are not alone, we are not abandoned, we are not forsaken, that the darkness before us may be thick, but the light is coming, the light of Jesus, which the darkness cannot ever overcome. Amen. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.